very thankful for that precious prayer that's been offered by our brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask that each one of you would pray for us as we stand before you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I would like to encourage you to start bringing your Bible to the house of God. If you have not, um, the house of God's a good place to bring your Bible. Turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 4. The book of Daniel chapter 4. These events that take place in the book of Daniel chapter 4, we, we hope that by the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to use these events as, as a springboard, as a starting place for us to consider the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of our God, which is in heaven. We want to consider the sovereignty of God in creation, the sovereignty of God in salvation, and also the sovereignty of God in his temporal dealings with us as his children here in this world. Here in Daniel chapter 4, this, this is happening somewhere around 560 to 570 B.C. This is after the, the Babylonians have come and, and they've destroyed Jerusalem, which probably the last time they come was around 586 B.C. Um, many of the Jews were taken in captivity and taken back to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. There were many that were killed and left there in the city. Uh, some were left alive and, and just had to experience the destruction. If you read through the book of Lamentations, you read what Jeremiah saw after the Babylonians had destroyed the city and burnt the area. Here in Daniel chapter 4, this is after the destruction of Jerusalem had taken place by the Babylonians. And Daniel, and if you remember the, the princes of, of Judah, those that were taught in in all the ways of, of the children of Israel, they, they were taken in captivity and, and the effort was to teach them the ways of the Babylonians. And if you recall, you had Hebrews like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which those were Babylonian names. Uh, they had Hebrew names. They were used by the Babylonians because they were the select in their eyes of the children of Israel to be, and they were to be taught the ways of the Babylonians. Well, Daniel was one of those that was one of the select who would be taught the ways of, of the Babylonians. And Daniel was a man that was blessed of the Lord, and he was a man that his life, he basically was brought up and raised away from home. I mean, he was taken in captivity, captured, brought away from home. But Daniel, during all that time, he was away from home. And in that Babylonian captivity, he continued to trust God and serve God in the capacity that was afforded to him. Here in Daniel chapter 4, this, this King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he struggled with something in his life. It was, it was pride, a haughty spirit. He was a man that thought a lot of himself. He was the king of, at that time, was probably the greatest kingdom on earth. And here in Daniel chapter 4, he, he had a dream. Uh, and it was a dream about him being lifted up and him being brought down. And Daniel, he asked Daniel to interpret the dream, and Daniel interpreted the dream. He told him about him being lifted up in his pride and, and how he'd be brought down. But even after he knew the interpretation of that dream, it did not stop Nebuchadnezzar from acting and going forward in his arrogance and pride. And if you'd begin reading with me in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 28, it says, And all this, this is making reference to all this that he's dreamed that Daniel has interpreted for him came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. 
And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Wow, he's wearing out the eye and the mile on his typewriter, is he not? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Wow, the Lord struck him down. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and notice in my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed myself, no, I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and my brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom an excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol not myself and honor the King of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. That experience brought Nebuchadnezzar to this conclusion that the Lord is God. And God is sovereign, and man is no more than just man. What does it mean when we say that God is sovereign? That means that he is God, and he does what he pleases, when he pleases, to whom he pleases, and at what time he pleases. And by saying that, I'm saying man is not sovereign. No matter how much we like to think of ourselves as being sovereign, man is not sovereign. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, my mama would take me to Dr. Hicks and Dr. Lumpston there in Clarksville, Georgia. And I want to tell you, back then when you went to the doctor, you got a shot. They didn't send you away with a prescription with antibiotics. And, and I know that... Now we know taking it by mouth is just as good as getting the shot at that time. But the, when Mama took me to the doctor, I was going to get a shot. I was sick. 
we went there to the doctor's office, and of course, there was a lot of sickness going on, and there's a lot of people at the doctor's office, and I put my head in Mama's lap, and we waited. Our name was on the list. We had an appointment, and I want to tell you, Dr. Hicks and Dr. Lumpson were such sweet doctors. If you were sick, it didn't matter how late they had to stay there. They were, you could see them that day. We waited in line and waited in line. I finally told Mama, why can't we just go ahead of these people? And she said, because we have to wait in line, son. No matter how much in my mind I thought we should just be able to go ahead of these people, we had to wait in line. Why? Because we're not sovereign. We can't get what we want when we want it. If you ever went to Walmart and, and the Walmart promise be failing, you remember the old Walmart promise? There'll never be no more than three waiting in line. You remember that when they had that commercial? <laughs> Boy, that went down in a hurry, did it not? <laughs> you go into Walmart and you think, you know, I, I, I'm in a hurry. I'd like to pay for what I've got and just go home. But you can't because you can't get what you want when you want it. Elder Franklin Bryant, who's a good primitive Baptist preacher there in middle Georgia, I heard him tell a story once. He had read it in a sports magazine. And he was telling this story, and it was about a famous boxer that lived years ago. And this boxer, he thought a lot of himself. He often called himself the greatest. Sometimes he'd say he was Superman. I don't think I have to tell you what his name was. He's a good boxer. But the story was he was on an airplane, and on that airplane, he was refusing to put on his seatbelt. And you know, on airplanes, you're required to get your seatbelt on, get buckled up when we're flying. He was refusing to put it on. And the stewardess just said, please, sir, just put on your seatbelt. And he looked at her and he said, you know, Superman don't have to have a seatbelt. And she said, yeah, Superman doesn't need this airplane either. <laughs> if you're going to ride this airplane, put your seatbelt on because man cannot do what he pleases when he pleases. I heard a story once in South Georgia about an old preacher. He was in a big hurry to get to a meeting to preach. He'd got up late and didn't get going on time. He knew he was going to be late. And they said he was breaking every speed limit all the way through South Georgia, which we got some folks here from South Georgia, and they know you can get away with that on a lot of highways in South Georgia. But that day he went by a Georgia State Patrol, and he was going a little bit too fast. And the Georgia State Patrol pulled him over and walked up to the car. And he said, son, he said, you was going way over the speed limit. He said, sir, you don't understand. He said, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 8 says, the king's business is urgent, and I've got to get to this preaching meeting. And the Georgia State Patrol said, yeah. He said, I've read that text, but he said, I've also read there in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, let us all be subject unto principalities and powers. And he said, and I'm sorry, he said, uh, you're going to have to get out of the car and get this ticket. That man, that preacher, would have liked to have done what he pleased, broke all the speed limits he pleased just to make sure he got to his appointment on time, but he couldn't do what he pleased. Why? Because he wasn't sovereign. He's not sovereign. And you know what? You and I, we're not sovereign. We can't do as we please when we please and when we want to do it, but God is sovereign. God does as he pleases, when he pleases, to whom he pleases, and what time he pleases. You know, Job believed that. Job said in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, but he's of one mind who could turn him and whatsoever his soul desireth, even that he doeth. David believed that. Psalms chapter 115 and verse 3, David said, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And this man named Nebuchadnezzar, after his experience, he come to this conclusion that, that God, God is sovereign. 
He's sovereign. God doesn't answer to man. God doesn't answer to anyone. He is the highest of high. He's the God of this universe. And when it comes to creation, God was sovereign in creation. You know why the world is round? Because God made it round. That's why it's round. You and I were not around back then to question God and say, I would like to have it with eight sides, maybe six sides, maybe four sides, maybe make it like a Rubik's Cube. No, God made it round because it was his will to do so. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and I've said this many times, if we cannot get this in our minds, the rest of the Bible will never make sense. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Notice it's not heavens, plural. It's heaven and the earth. You know what was before Genesis 1-1? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that was it, and they filled all in all, and it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's will to make heaven and the earth. And you know why it is the way it is? Because God is sovereign to make it as it is. On the third day, God looked at the earth, and he said, let the grass come forth, and let everything bring forth after its kind. You know what happened? Grass grew. Trees were there. God made the grass. God made the trees. The trees bore fruit after their kind, which is the law that was set forth on earth that continues to this day. We bring forth after our kind. And, you know, you look at creation right there, and that grass, it wasn't the grass that replied back to God and said, you know, I don't want to be green. I would rather be purple. I don't want to be green. I would rather be lavender. No, the grass is green because God made it green. It wasn't an apple tree that replied against God and said, I know you made me an apple tree, but I'd rather bring forth oranges. No, the apple tree just brought forth oranges and it fulfilled. The apple tree brought forth apples. Back up. The apple tree brought forth apples and it fulfilled its role in creation. Then God made two great lights. Do you realize God made light before he made the sun? And God made two great lights, one to rule the day and one to rule the night, and they stay in their place and they fulfill their role in creation. You know why? God is sovereign and they are not. They were made by the hand of God. The Bible says that God made the stars also. Almost like he just took his fingers and just threw them out there. And by the way, all this is said in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3 to be the finger work of God, not the arm work of God, the finger work of God. He's making all this with his fingers, and God spake, and you'll find at least nine times in this chapter that God spake, and it was so. Why? Because God is sovereign. And then God made the beast of the field and all the fishes in the sea. God made the great whales. He put them in the sea, but it wasn't the great whale in creation that spoke and replied against God and said, you know, I'd rather be a bluegill brim. No, that's not what the whale did. The whale fulfills its role in creation. Why? Because God is sovereign and the whale is not. And the beast of the field fulfilled their role in creation because God is sovereign and he made them the way they are. Now there at my house, we got a little dog named Sparky. Some of you met Sparky. I mean, he's wild as a buck. He's half Jack Russell, half Beagle. I mean, he's a cold-blooded killer. He'll kill anything that comes through the yard. <laughs> Sister Debbie came over to the house the other day and brought Stella. And Sister Stella and Sarah Beth was out in the yard. 
You know, they go out in the yard and play. I'm not worried about anything being out there but them and Sparky. Well, there ain't nothing going to live in that yard as long as Sparky's out there. Grasshoppers, crickets, frogs, lizards, snakes, rats, moles, whatever, squirrels. I mean, he's, he's a cold-blooded killer. My poor old kids, Sparky killed a rabbit one time, and my kids asked me, they said, you know, when Sparky dies, can he go to heaven, Daddy? I said, well, the Bible said there's no murderer that has eternal life abiding in him, and I know that dog's a murderer. <laughs> but Sparky's a good little dog. I love Sparky. He's a good friend of mine. I appreciate Sparky. You know, Sparky doesn't reply against God. I've never walked out there and Sparky start replying against God and said, I want to be something besides what I am. No, Sparky, he's just happy. I think he's happy to be a little louder little dog. He knows what he is. He's a little dog, and God created dogs, and Sparky's just a little dog. You know, the birds and fowls of the air, they don't reply against God. They just sing and praise unto the Lord. You may have heard the story about the preacher down in southwest Mississippi. He said he, he was working late, and he liked to sleep late the next morning. He said every morning, you know, he said there'd be a bird come on his window and start singing and wake him up. And he thought, you know, that bird had to wake me up this morning. He said, I'd go out there and run him off. He said, the next morning, I wanted to sleep late again. I was tired. The bird come out there singing again. He said, I'd run him off. He said, by the third day, that bird kept coming back. I finally realized that bird really didn't care what I think. He's just singing praise to his creator that made him, that made him. The fowls of the air confess in the way they sing that God is sovereign, God in his creation. But the 27th verse of Genesis chapter 1, on the sixth day, God made male and female. God made man. Put him in a deep sleep, took a rib from his side, and he made woman. The Bible says that God made man and woman, made man in his own image. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. And yet man will not be subject to the creative, sovereign power of God that made us what we are. Man will believe the lie of the devil when the devil tempted him and said, Ye shall be as gods. Nothing else in creation replies against God's sovereignty. But man does. But when we consider this, and man replying against God in creation, the cries of the world that we live in, this crying against God in creation, they're really not crying against any political party. They're not crying against society. No, they're crying against the Lord that has made us Little Sparky knows what he is. He's a dog, and he's happy to be a dog. Why can't I be content just being what God made me and live my life to serve him? Why? Why? Because of sin. That's why. But God is sovereign and not man. And the Bible declares that God is sovereign to do as he, as he pleases. Now, if we take that to the subject of salvation, eternal salvation. When we say eternal salvation, we're referring to heaven. And we're referring to hell. There is a real hell, and hell is a real place, and there is a real heaven, and heaven is a real place. The souls and spirits of the saints of God are there in heaven, and the bodies of some are there too. We know Elijah and Enoch are both there in soul, body, and spirit because God took them. And when the Lord returns to the earth, there'll be people that are alive that will be changed in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, and be glorified in the image of Jesus Christ. And what that means is being without sin, and they'll be taken right up into glory. It's, it's real. It's a real place. It exists. And when I say heaven and I say hell, I'm teaching geography. I'm teaching real places. So we consider the subject of eternal salvation. If we can agree that God is sovereign in creation, can we agree 
that God is sovereign in eternal salvation? That God is sovereign to save whom he pleases? That God is sovereign to look down upon man that fell in Adam and we're all sinners and have come short of the glory of God and not one of us deserve any mercy? Not one of us is worthy of God's mercy and truth? Can we look to the Lord and say, Lord, you're sovereign to save whom he please. And if it was the Lord's will to save one and not the other, would he cease to be God? No, he would not cease to be God. He's sovereign. But man would teach that man is sovereign. God's not sovereign. God is handcuffed and in ties there in heaven. And man would make the decision, but man is not sovereign. We've already proven that. God is sovereign to save whom he pleases. Now, I'm happy to tell you that what the Bible teaches is there is a multitude, there's a multitude that no man can number, as the sands in the sea and as the stars of heaven, that a sovereign God of this universe decided to save by his own sovereign power, and it's a number that none of us could even imagine. And when we get to heaven, there'll be people in front, back, east, west, north, and south, as far as you can see, all singing the praise of a sovereign God. But it was the sovereign God in election and predestination that chose to save those people. You know, the Bible teaches that. Psalms chapter 65 and verse 4, David says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Chooses. You know what would happen if God had not chosen you to save you? You'd never choose him. Someone would say, well, I'll tell you what, we all deserve a chance. Okay, let's just think about this. We all deserve a chance, a chance. If God is not in us, what chance do we have of gaining glory? None. The Bible says the wicked, that's the man without God in his heart, the wicked will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Well, I tell you what, we need to teach them. If you'll just teach them the right way. A man that is dead in sins, according to Psalms chapter 58 and verse 4 and 5, you cannot teach him. He will not hearken. He will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. You can't convince him. My dad used to say this, you cannot tell a man to go anywhere when he thinks he's already arrived exactly where he needs to be. Think about that. Can you tell a man to go anywhere when he thinks he's already arrived exactly where he needs to be? The carnal man without God in his heart does not need God. He does not need the information of the Bible. He's happy being exactly where he is, and truthfully, in his mind, he thinks everybody should just live by my standard. He's never had any guilt of sin. He's never been troubled about his own works. He's never been troubled about his failures. He's happy to be where he is. So if you find someone that loves God, if you find someone that's seeking God, if you find someone that loves the church, if you find someone that's showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, what you've got is you've got a born-again child of God in your, in your presence. I heard a story once about a man and a woman had a little boy, and they said that little boy was rough as a cob. What does that mean? That means he's a mean little boy is what it means. That's just Georgia slang language for means what it means. Little boy was mean. Little boy didn't even like going to church. They had to drag him to church. Didn't like nothing about church. And they said one day the little boy came home from school and he was crying. His heart was broke. He's downhearted. He told his mom and daddy, you know, he said, I hadn't done right. He said, I hadn't done right for the church. I hadn't done right to God. 
He said, I've made a lot of mistakes. He said, there's a lot I need to start doing better. And he looked, and his mom and daddy were smiling and happy. He said, why are y'all so happy? They said, what we're seeing is the grace of God in your life. And they were happy for him. When you see someone that feels the condemnation of sin, when they see that they've done wrong, be happy. God's grace is already in them. And it means that God, before the foundation of the world, chose to love them. And his son came in the world and gave his life for them. David believed in this. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he believed in this. John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, this is what he believed because he saw a blood-washed multitude in heaven out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. John believed in the election and predestination of God, that God loved his people and he was sovereign to save whom he would. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul here gives us information concerning the sovereignty of God and eternal salvation. That God is sovereign to save whom he pleases, and he never has to apologize to anyone. The Apostle Paul here uses two brothers to teach this subject. And if you notice with me in verse 11 of Romans chapter 9, he said, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, that was said unto her, that's their mother, the elder, their mother Rebecca, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness of God? God's unrighteous to do this. Paul said, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. What is Paul saying? God is sovereign and not man. If someone says, I don't like the way that reads, well, that's how God runs his universe. If you don't like the way God runs his universe, just go build one of your own. But if you're going to live in this one, this is the way God runs his universe. God is sovereign. These two boys come from the same daddy, same mama. Couldn't be their natural bloodline. I mean, I'm sure they both had a little bit of similarities to one another. We know there's both sinners. I mean, you read about the life of Jacob. I mean, Jacob was a sinner. I mean, Jacob done a lot of things to be ashamed of. But it was God's will to love one and not love the other. And someone would say, well, if that's true, then God's unrighteous. No, God's righteous. God didn't owe either one of them anything. And that's the first thing we've got to understand. God does not owe us anything. You know how much God owes me? Nothing. Nothing. God didn't owe me nothing. Because of my sin, if I burnt eternally in a burning hell, that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. God doesn't owe me anything. But I'm thankful to tell you this morning, by the truth that's in my mind, I believe in the grace of God, and I can see the grace of God in my life. And my hope is He loved me before the foundation of the world. If He loved me before the foundation of the world, then nothing can change that love. And you're here today because you're manifesting that God loved you before the foundation of the world. And God loves his children all over this world. And 
by what they believe and think, that does not make them children of God. They're children of God by grace. And if you see any goodness in anyone, it doesn't matter what they believe in their mind. There's children of God that their minds have been polluted. I asked a person once, I said, if I was born in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran, I said, what do you think I'd be? What do you think I'd be if I was born there? What would I be? I'd probably be a Muslim. Would that change the fact that God loved me? Would that change the fact that God chose me before the foundation run? It would not. It would not. It would just mean my mind was not clear in believing the truth about eternal salvation. God loved Jacob, but hated Esau. And, and someone would say, well, that doesn't really mean hate. That just means he loved him less. Loved him less. That's what that means. You know, I've heard that before. That God just loved Esau a little less than Jacob. You know that same person to tell you that will also tell you that God loves everybody the same. God loves everybody the same, but he loved Esau less. Hold on a minute. I thought he said he loved everybody the same. Now, which one is it? Does he love everybody the same, or is he loving one less? The truth is he loved Jacob, but hated Esau. The reason he hated Esau was in sin, in sin. See, Esau was left in sin. It was God's will to save Jacob. And God loved Jacob, and because he loved Jacob... The Son of God came into this world and died for his sins on the cross of Calvary. God loved one and hated the other. And someone would say, well, that can't be right. Well, it declares God's sovereignty. God is right. Whether we agree with it or not, God is still right. God is holy. Whether I believe he's holy or not, he's holy. Me believing or not believing in God does not change God. It makes a difference in my life. <laughs> but it doesn't change God. God is still God. And God loved Jacob, but hated Esau. You know, if you think about loving less, I know a text in the Bible where the word hate there means to love less. It's over in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That means to love yourself and your family less than you love God. You should love God more, more. And I told a man, if you love God more and you put God first, God will give you blessings with all the others. You want great blessings in your household? Love God more. You want more blessings raising your children? Love God more. Because God will tell you how to raise children. You want more blessings in your life? Love God more. The more you put God first, the more blessings you have in your life. Right there, that text, hate, means to love less. You know how I know that? That word and is used. That's the conjunction and. The conjunction and, you talk to anyone that's an English teacher, they will tell you when the conjunction and is used, it joins things of equal or unequal values. And. Like I could say, I walked out the door and Brother Brad Helms walked with me, and I'm saying we walked out together, right? It's joining things that are going in the same direction. But I cannot say that I walked out the door, but Brother Brad walked with me. Mm -mm, that doesn't work. The word but is a conjunction to joins things of opposite values. I could say I walked out the door, but Brother Brad Ham stayed in the church house. I could say that, but I could not say that he walked out the door with me. I'd have to use the conjunction and. This verse says God loved Jacob, but hated Esau, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. What does it say? This is here for us to know that God is sovereign to save whom he pleases. I remember when I first began to believe this. I was raised all my life to believe I had to do something to become a child of God. And whatever they told me to do, I did it. I did whatever they told me to do. 
They told me to go to a mourner's bench that was in front of the church house. And I love these folks. I love them. I believe we'll all be in heaven one day. They told me to go to that mourner's bench. I went and I did what they told me to do, but I never got happy. Never, never got happy. I went almost every Sunday from age 9 to age 16, and I never got happy. And when I first heard the message of election and predestination, I thought, well, this is it. The reason I can't get happy, I was not elected. I was not predestinated. That's what I believed. But I listened some more, and I learned that because I felt the way I felt, it was evidence I was elected and predestinated. And I got some hope and more hope and more hope until I'm standing before you today in assurance. I don't need a mourner's bench anymore. I don't need people to tell me what to do. All my hope is in the Lord. And I believe by the evidence that I've seen in my life, he loved me before the world began. And because he loved me before the world began, because of that love and what he's done for me, the sovereign God of this universe, I don't know why he loved me. And the the most marvelous thing about Romans chapter 9 is not that God hated Esau. Jacob done enough to be hated. I've done enough to be hated by God. The most marvelous thing is God loved Jacob. That's marvelous. It's marvelous to me that I've got to hope that God loved me. And I love to preach to the children of God and increase their hope so that they go away. They believe God loved you. Before the world began, he loved you. A God of this universe that made all that we see loved you. He loved you. And he cared so much for you and loved you so much, he sent his son into this world. And that son gave his life on the cross of Calvary and paid not for half of your sins, not for 75% of your sins, but all of your sins. And you'd say, well, you got to believe it. What if I don't believe it? Is unbelief a sin? Well, that's a sin. Well, if it's a sin, you pay for that one too, all right? Jesus paid for all of our sins, and he did it because he loved us. He loved us. And God, the sovereign God of this universe, loved us. And since he's sovereign and he does as he pleases, if God chose to save us, save his people, if he doesn't save us all, guess what? He's not sovereign. You know the way, only way God is sovereign is if he purposed to save the same people that he saves. That's it. If he doesn't save the same people that he purposed to save, he's not sovereign. He lost. My God doesn't lose. Our God has never lost a battle. Our God is victorious. And when we get to heaven, we'll sing his praise, the victory, and that he has saved us. He came into this world. You remember Matthew 121, when Joseph was concerned to take Mary to be his wife because she was with child. She is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And that that was in her, that heartbeat, would be called the Son of God. Not become the Son of God, be called the Son of God. He was the Son of God before the world began. He's eternal. And, they, and the angel of the Lord said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, for she shall bring forth a son. And she did. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And they did. For he shall save his people from their sins. And praise God, he did it. He did it. He's victorious and he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Man, I tell you what, I told someone here a while back, I said, you know, there's only one group of people that worships God, that believes there's going to be more in heaven than the primitive Baptists. You know who that is? It's the universalist. A universalist believes everybody on earth is a child of God. Now, by this verse in Romans chapter 9, I know everybody's not a child of God, but I tell you what, I believe most people on this earth are children of God because if you see goodness in anybody's life, if you see a want to to do something right, it's a child of God. They're born again. 
And I'm happy to tell you that one day when we all get to heaven, we're all going to believe the same thing. <laughs> Aren't you looking forward to that day when we all believe the same thing? You know what it's going to take for us all to believe the same thing? It's going to take the Lord appearing in the clouds to get us all converted in our minds. But when the Lord changes us all, that day, now we'll all be born again by His grace, but there's a day coming that all the minds of every child of God will be changed and we'll all believe the same thing. We'll all be singing the sovereignty of God who loved us and gave Himself for us in glory. I'm looking forward to that day. He's sovereign. But not only is God sovereign in creation, and God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in his temporal dealings, dealings with us as his children. And we pray to God. We call unto the Lord. We plead with him and we beg him. We beg him for defense to guard us from this wicked world. Would you agree that we're living in a wicked world? Could you agree with that? Can I get someone to amen that, that we're living in a wicked world right now? Am I the only one <laughs> that believes this world is going downhill faster than a grease ball bearing on a plate of glass? It's going downhill. I mean, it is going fast. I mean, I've read some things this week I never thought I would have read. I never thought some of these things would have happened in the United States of America, but they are. They're happening right now. We need God's hedge. We need his protection. I need God's temporal help. I believe God has saved me from my sin. I believe I have a home in heaven. But I need his temporal help right now for my life. I need him every day. I need his help. I love that hymn. I need thee every hour. Oh, Lord, I need thee. I need him. I need him. I need his wisdom. That I can walk in such a way that be pleasing to him. I need God's wisdom. You know why? I've learned by my experience, I ain't too smart. <laughs> I'm a fool. I'll tell you, if you don't believe man is a fool, go back and read the book of Judges. The book of Judges is just a cycle. God bless them to get on their feet and do right, and they start doing foolish things again. God bless them to get back on their feet and do right, and they start doing foolish things again. God get them back on their feet and do right, and they start doing foolish things again. Me and Brother C. Debbie Helms was talking about that one time, and Brother C. Debbie said, ain't we a bunch of stupid folks, Brother Ronnie? I said, yeah, we can be. Elder Danny Wisner said his daddy got started reading the Bible and he was reading through the book of Judges. So he called his daddy up and his daddy said, I'm reading here through the book of Judges. He said, boy, I'll tell you what. He said, these, these children are miserable. He said, well, they take a lot of whoopings. He said, you know, the Lord bless them. They'll do good and they'll do wrong. And the Lord, he'll tear up that backside for them. And they'll take a chastening whipping. He said, then they'll start doing good and they'll start doing bad again. God will whoop them again. And Brother Danny said, what's going on right now, Daddy? He said, well, right now they're doing good, but I'm pretty sure there's a whooping pretty soon in the future. <laughs> it's just like a cycle. I need God's wisdom for my life. But, you know, God is sovereign. God does not have to give us anything. He didn't owe us anything. You know, God doesn't owe us anything to answer our prayers. He didn't owe us. He's not in debt to me. God doesn't owe me anything to help me in my life. He's not in debt to me. But the Bible teaches us that the general pattern for God's help, God's guide, God's protection is to those children of God who will humble themselves to the Lord's authority. The Bible said God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. What happened here in Nebuchadnezzar's life? Did he get God's help when he was lifted up in pride? No, he was struck down. 
But when he lifted his eyes to heaven and he began to honor God and say, God, you're in charge and I'm not. You're God and I'm but a man. And he was humble to the Lord. The Lord blessed Nebuchadnezzar. Think about a protective hedge around us. Do we need a hedge? Wow, do we ever need a hedge? You remember when the devil came to Job to attack Job? What did the Lord say? The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Why is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible so we know the Lord pushed the devil on Job? No, it's there for us to know what was going on beforehand. The devil speaks up and he says, oh, thou hast a hedge about him. You've got him protected. That was in the Bible for us to know the devil had already been trying to attack Job. That wasn't the first time the devil come. The Lord spoke those words for us and our understanding to know the devil was on the job. He was on the job. The devil's on the job every day to attack the children of God. And by the way, if the devil has ever attacked you in your life, it's evidence you're a child of God because the devil does not fight against the devil. The devil does not attack the devil. Matthew chapter 12 verse 25 teaches us that it's just common knowledge, just common spiritual knowledge. The devil does not attack the devil. The devil comes after Job. God's got a hedge about him. Well, the Lord moves his hedge. And Job says there in Job chapter 3, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. What did he do? He lost his hedge. The devil, the devil now can touch him. The Lord had given Job that hedge, and he was one of the greatest men in the East. So you had all those conversations in the book of Job, but by the time you come to the end of Job, you find that Job is saying this. He's God, and I'm not. You know, when the Lord came on the scene there, you know, he asked Job, where was you? Where was you when I did this? Where was you when I did this? Where was you when I did this? And Job said, I'd heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see thee, and I abhor myself in dust and ashes. I'm nothing, and you're God. Why did Job lose his hedge? God didn't owe it to him anyway. But the Lord blessed the end of Job more than the beginning. Why? Because Job was humble, that God is sovereign and he is not. 1 Samuel, chapter 24, we find a man named David. Boy, David got lifted up. <laughs> Boy, look at this kingdom I got here. Hey, I'll tell you what, let's start numbering these folks to see how many I got. Well, they tried to tell him, don't do this. This is not good. You know, God's given thee the kingdom. The Lord's blessed us. You know, don't get lifted up in pride. Oh, he got lifted up in pride. It angered the Lord. So the Lord gave him a choice. I'll tell you what you can get. You can get seven years of famine. Three months running from the enemies or three days of pestilence? Take your pick. Take your pick, David. You're going to be punished for what you did. You lift up in pride. And David said, I'd rather fall in the hands of the Lord than fall in the hands of men. So there's a three days of pestilence that's hit. David had been hedged in by God and blessed, but he sinned against God and lost it. We can lose a hedge because God doesn't owe it to us. We can also lose a hedge because of sin. We sin and we lose the protection of God. When that happened, David, he turned to the Lord and he prayed to God. And the Lord stayed the angel's hand. And David, he went up to the threshing floor of Arana. And Arana tried to give him that threshing floor, which is the very place where Solomon would build the temple in 2 Samuel 24. But David said this, I will not offer unto God that which cost me nothing. It should cost us something to serve God. I will not offer unto God that which cost me nothing. He paid for that. And he humbled himself in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord lifted him up and blessed him. And by the way, the blessings of God are beyond anything the world can take away from him. I find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 a man named Paul. 
There was given him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, lest he would be exalted in the flesh because of the revelations he had. I'm going to tell you, the Apostle Paul was taken up to the third heaven, folks. What is the third heaven? Well, the first heaven is where the fowls fly. That's Genesis chapter 1. What's the second heaven? That's space. You know, David said, when I consider the heavens, the work of my fingers, the moon and stars and stars for a day. What's the third heaven? That's where God is. That's where God is, the third heaven. It's above the other two. Paul was taken there. And he heard things. It's not lawful for man to repeat and utter. Unless he would be exalted in the flesh, they was given him a messenger of Satan. What is that? That's the Lord. He lowered the hedge to prevent sin. I'll tell you, the Lord, <laughs> he knows what we can handle. I told someone once, the reason I'm not a real rich man, God, he knows I, I can handle it. I can handle it. God knows what we need. God knows what we can handle. But it was the Apostle Paul that believed God and was humble to him. And the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient to save us from hell. His grace is sufficient to help us. No matter what trouble we have, God is sufficient. Those that enjoyed those blessings, that hedge, who were they? They were the people that were humble to God. Humble to God. The Bible says over in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12, before destruction, the heart of man is holy. He said, before honor, it's humility. Humility. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, God said, This is the man that I will look to, him that's of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That's humble to God. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18. I, I know everybody's read this, and sometimes I try to quote it. If I misquote it, you please forgive me. Pride goeth before destruction, and a holy spirit before fall. So what should we be? What should, we should be humble to confess that God is sovereign. You know, man likes to confess himself. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. The Bible said we should confess the Lord, that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord is God. When we go to him and pray, we should remember that he is sovereign and he is able. I need his help every day in my life. I need it. But when I go to him and beg for help, I should be confessing, God, you're sovereign. You don't owe this to me, but I know that you can help me, and I believe you can help me. You know, there in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18, that Syrophoenician had come to the Lord, and her daughter was vexed with the devil. She came to the Lord, and she said, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You know what the disciples did? They tried to get her away. You know, he don't have time for you. He don't have to, You know, that's not right. God's got time for all his children. God's always got time for his children. We don't have time for you. Let's get away. Let's get away. Then the Lord said, you know, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast the dogs. He was spending time with Jews. You know what that woman said? She said, truth, Lord. She said, but even the dogs, even the crumbs which fall from the master's table, even the dogs, even the crumbs which fall from the, their master's table. You know what she just said? I know I don't deserve this. Then I know you're greater than me. And I'll confess to you, I'm but a dog. I'm nothing. But I believe I'm your dog. And I know you're able to help me. So if you would, please help me. And then she cried, Lord, help us. Help me. You know what the Lord did? The Lord said, Bid unto thee even as thou will. Did God owe that to her? No, but he did it for his little child. It was his will and his sovereign will to help her. 
I need wisdom in my life. I need light and understanding. I need God's help. I need his God. I need his God when I'm in the pulpit. The Bible says over Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said, I thank thee, O Lord, Father of heaven and earth, thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, but revealed them unto babes, for even it seemed good in thy sight. You, know, you don't have to hide things from dead people, do you? You ever had to hide anything from a dead person? <laughs> you hide things from people that are alive. Why did God hide it from them? Why did God hide the truth, hide his wisdom from those people? They were children of God. Why did he hide it? Because they were wise and prudent in their own eyes. They didn't need God. You know, the Laodiceans, that Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord's outside the church. He's outside the church knocking on the door. These are children of God. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had enjoyed his fellowship. But because they said we're increased with goods and have need of nothing, he's on the outside, outside of the church. They needed him, but in their pride being lifted up, he's outside the church. They were missing out. So we find children of God. Because God is sovereign to do as he pleases, they miss out on so many blessings that the sovereign God, because it's a general pattern for them to do so, they miss out on them because of their Holy Spirit and their pride. So what should we do? What should we do, dear children of God? Our entire life we should live confessing he is sovereign and I need you and God, I need your help and be humble to God's, God's commands. What does the Lord require of us? You know, the Bible tells us what God requires of us. Micah chapter 6 and verse 9, 6 and 8, 6 and 8. What did the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? If we'll do those three, if we'll do right, love mercy, love God, and walk humbly with him, that's what God requires of us. Solomon, when he goes through the book Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the conclusion of the whole matter here? What's my purpose in life? He goes through, what's my purpose in life? All the way through the book, he finally comes to the conclusion. What's my purpose? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And David would say there in the end of Psalm chapter 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. What is our purpose? What should we be? We should be humble in the sight of God, following his commands and confessing to the entire world you're God, and I'm not. I'm just little nothing, Ronnie, that's thankful that he has given me hope, thankful for the help that he's given me and the light and understanding he's given me, and may God give us more temporal grace to be humble to him and his commands and live right, live right and do right the rest of our days. May God richly bless us, our prayer.